0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Now let's jump into the Word together here this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to examine a singular verse here this morning as we conclude our series of Stewarding the Soul. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the stewardship of our inner man, our soul, and uh, how it is that John writes to the church, and he prays, of course, that they would be a prosperous people and that they would be a healthy people, but he gauges that and puts the priority on their spiritual man, their spiritual being, when he says to them, I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So today, that's our prayer as we're looking at this thing of stewarding the soul that, you know, as we look at, we're so often concerned with our, you know, our bottom lines, our bank accounts, where we are in, in our careers and things like that. But just take, we're just taking a few weeks here to just set aside as, well, basically the focus every week here should be on the nourishment of our spiritual man. But just calling a special attention to that for the last few weeks. We, we began with talking about tending our hearts being gatekeepers and watchmen over the things that we're allowing into our lives and just really guarding that and and finding out what is good and what is not, what is healthy and what is toxic for our spirit. And uh, last week we talked about tending our hands and how that what's on the Inside of us, what's in our heart sooner or later makes its way out through God's unique creation in us That by faith we serve and by faith we give and we we act by faith for the upbuilding of the kingdom So this week we're going to be talking about tending the fire Tending the fire of God in our lives Listen, when Jesus came into your life When you surrendered your heart and your life to him and you said, Lord, here am I, use me, here am I, send me, here am I, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, it should have, at least in some degree, ignited a bit of a fire on the inside of you spiritually. You should have a fervency, and we read about this often in the Bible. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist said of the coming Messiah that he was going to do that very thing that he was going to set a fire in us. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says this. uh, He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Acts chapter 2, we see that wonderful day of Pentecost movement, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says when, uh, when, they were all, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place with one accord. And there came a sound from heaven, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now that's a figurative example for something that literally should have been happening on the inside of them. That as they were there and the Spirit of the Lord was being poured out on them, it should have been igniting a fire on the inside of them. There should have been a new sense of fervor, a new sense of urgency, an awakening to the power and the presence of God that just stirred them in their inner being. So, Today we're going to be speaking about the importance as a spiritual discipline to tend the fire of God in our lives. To be sure that it's burning bright and that our lives are aglow with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now without a doubt I believe there is more than sufficient biblical evidence uh, support to undergird the importance of tending our spiritual fire, our spiritual fervor. Now... I want to jump to our text here, and I'm going to read this morning from the Amplified Version because I love the way that this is stated. And if you're reading something different, that's okay. We're going to clarify terms as we move through. But Romans chapter 12, verse 11 in the Amplified Version reads like this. And Paul is writing, remember this, when we read most of the New Testament letters, Paul is not writing to the wicked and the sinful outside of the church, But he is writing to a church To a church specifically Paul is writing but through the spirit he's writing to the church in general And he writes these words and says to the church never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor Be aglow and burning with the spirit of the lord Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor Be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. Do you know how many verses there are? I don't know. I, this is anecdotal and I haven't looked it up. But do you know how many verses there are in the Bible? Can you just recount on your own now how many times you hear these words in the Bible? Don't be weary. Don't lag. Don't get left behind. Pursue the things of the Lord. Pursue passionately the fire of God in your life. Listen. the The word of the psalmist to us is this: Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that He, the Lord. He, know that the Lord He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name forever. For the Lord is good, and His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generation. Listen. I can't follow that directive half-heartedly. I can't serve the Lord with gladness half-heartedly. I can't fulfill that command to make a joyful noise unto the Lord half-heartedly. I've got to be sold out as we say we've got to be on fire for God. Now if you'll notice here with me, this text as it's rendered in the Amplified Version is divided by a semicolon. And I want to treat it that way as we, as we walk through it today. To the left of the semicolon, you read these words, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. I would say that is the intensity of pursuit. The intensity of pursuit. To the right side, we read, Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. I'd say that is the object of pursuit. So we have here in this verse both the intensity and the object of pursuit how we're supposed to pursue the Lord and exactly what it is we're looking to attain in this pursuit. So jump here with me to that first phrase, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. The King James Version says not being slothful in business. Maybe you're reading a different version today. It may say something like, uh, you know, uh, um, not lacking in spiritual fervor or something like that. But that word that's translated there for slothful is actually a Greek word. We could translate it uh, being slothful or uh, lagging in zeal or uh, or it means indolent. And that word indolent, when we look up that definition in the dictionary, it means this. Wanting to avoid activity or exertion. Lazy. That's the definition of lazy. So Paul's writing to the church here and he says, look, as it pertains to your pursuit of the things of the Lord, don't be lazy. Listen, church, we don't have time. We don't have time, the spiritual prowess, the strength of will, or anything else that we need in order to be spiritually lazy. We need to be intense. Earnest endeavor, or that word business there, if you're reading King James this morning, uh, it comes from a Greek word that can be translated eagerness, earnestness, or haste. As a matter of fact, it's the same Greek word that we read so often times. Every year, December comes around and we begin to recite the Christmas narratives and things like that. We find this same Greek word when it tells about how the shepherds came to visit the newborn Christ child. It says this, and it came to pass, Luke 2. As the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us, and they came with with haste. It's that same word. It's that same word that Paul says, look, don't be lazy. Be eager. Be in haste in your pursuit of the things of the Lord. We read this same word in Paul's testimony concerning the early days of his conversion when he says in Acts 22, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell in a trance and saw the Lord speak to me and said, Quick! Get out of the city because there are people here who are not going to accept your testimony. That word quick there is the same word. It, it denotes a sense of urgency. A a sense of passion, a stir, a a botheredness, if you will, that we might be being left behind. So what we get out of the opening phrase here of this text, even though we've not covered the entire verse just yet, we can begin to see from that that our service and our devotion to the Lord shouldn't be secondary in our lives, but it needs to be something that we are passionately, even urgently pursuing. Our spiritual state should not be a hit or miss or a catch-as-catch-can kind of situation, but it, needs to be, it doesn't need to be something that we regard lightly. It's not something that in which we need to be lazy, but on the contrary, it's something that we need to pursue with urgency. Urgency. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we need to have that same sense of urgency that we feel when we get out of the bed in the morning and we know that there's a huge to-do list in front of us. How many of you know that you wake up differently or how many of you wake up differently on those, quote, big days. You know, there's just some days that you know what's ahead of you and you know what you're, you're committed to do and it's a huge day. Some of you students right now, you're, you're coming to the close of the school year. And you know it's, it's a big deal, and you need to be prepared. You need to be ready to greet that day, to face that day. And it's, you know, it's been hyped up in your mind, your moms, your dads, whoever. They've been really pumping this whole idea of being ready. I mean, for crying out loud, you even got up in time to eat breakfast. How many of you, your mama made sure that you had plenty of oatmeal before Big Test Day? Because it was It was important. And you needed to get up and you needed to get after it because it was urgent. And it doesn't matter how much or how little sleep you had the night before. When the sun comes up in the morning, your little eyes pop open and you are ready. I mean, you are ready. It doesn't matter. You you can wake up. You're ready to roll. You say, game on. I'm in it to win it. I've got my eyes on the prize and I'm going forward. Because there's a sense of urgency associated with the tasks that are before you and that's the image that's the picture that paul's trying to draw here for us when he says don't be lacking in zeal in other words get up every day with that fresh pursuit in mind that says look i've got to catch up to what god's trying to do in my life i've got to catch up to where the spirit's leading today i don't want to get left behind i don't want to miss out on the blessing i've got to pursue it It's more important, your pursuit of the things of the Lord. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to be legalistic here this morning, and I'm not on a soapbox. I'm just speaking in reality. And yes, I understand that there are times and there are seasons when you need to get away, and you need a break, and you just you have to remove yourself to some other place. I get that. No cards, letters, emails, Please. But can I tell you that this pursuit is more important than what's going on at your favorite vacation spot? Can I tell you that your walk with the Lord and your family's spiritual disciplines should not take second place to anything? They should not take place to your children's sporting events. They shouldn't take second place to your personal relaxation and pleasure. They shouldn't take second place to your personal desires. Your walk with the Lord and your family's spiritual condition, spiritual discipline should not be determined by popular trends. I know what the rest of the world is doing, but it doesn't mean that it's good for us. There needs to be a sense of urgency regarding our spiritual condition. Listen, if we were in this room right now and one of us began to have a physical distress and there was a a medical emergency, how many of you know that the sense of urgency in this room would rise exponentially? There there would be some hand-wringing, a group of people. Some of you would begin to pray. Somebody would get on the phone and begin reaching out to emergency services. Maybe those of you who are in the room who are qualified might begin to administer aid yourself, but there would be a tremendous uproar in this room. There would be a sense of urgency that, oh my goodness, we've got to do something. We've got to do something here. Can I tell you the same should be true of our spiritual condition? We need to have that same sense of urgency regarding our spiritual life as well. You see, too often, we even in in the body of Christ, we, we walk around and our spiritual life is languishing. Our inner man is perishing, and we don't even bat an eye. I mean, that dude is on life support. And we're just on to the next thing. But somebody needs to be interceding for the body of Christ. Somebody needs to be praying for revival. There there needs to be somebody that's reaching out for the resources that God has to offer. There needs to be somebody who's coming alongside that one who's spiritually perishing and offering aid to them if they can. And encouraging them and lifting them up. But too often as it relates to our spirituality, there is no sense of urgency and there needs to be a sense of urgency in the body of Christ that says this, what will it profit me if I gain the whole world but lose my soul? Now all of this talk about zeal is very exciting. Woo-hoo! And I wish that everyone who claims the name of Christ were zealous. But, here's the hazard. Zeal without direction can be quite fruitless. I've seen a lot of it. Zeal without direction can be quite fruitless, and in fact, zeal without direction can be downright dangerous. You ever ever watch your kids? They're very excited. And they're not paying a lick of attention to their surroundings. And and next thing you know, they've got a big knot, a goose egg on their head. Or they've broken an arm or something else. Because they're zealous. But they're not quite as guided in their pursuit as they need to be. And sometimes we as believers can do that as well. Look, we don't, we don't want you, you know, there's, a, there's an old adage that goes, hey, it's time to do something even if it's wrong. And I've been in some of those situations myself where I've just stood around as long as I can stand around. I can't take it anymore. And I say, you know, it's time to do something even if what we do is wrong. But this is not one of those situations where we can afford wrong. So we don't want you to be misguided this morning. We don't want you just doing anything because when we're doing just anything with regard to our spirit man, that bears eternal consequences. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and says this, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, there's a purpose to his zeal. There's a purpose to his fervency. And that purpose of all the zeal and fervency is this, never lag in zeal and earnest endeavor, but be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. You King James people, you're reading that word fervent. You're reading in the NIV, it says keep spiritual fervor. If you're reading the NLT, it says serve the Lord enthusiastically. I like that too. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Some people make ministry to the Lord sound like a prison term in San Quentin. You, you, you approach them, you say, Hey, would you mind helping here? They say, oh, Look, I did my time. I've done my time, that's over. No, serve the Lord enthusiastically. How many of you know that people will lose their fire for the things of God? People will lose their fervor for the things of the Lord. We allow things to drown out the work of the Lord in our lives, to become primary, and and the things of God become secondary or beyond in our lives as a pursuit We allow ourselves to believe that it's normal to become a nominal Christian. Do you believe that? There are a lot of people who believe that. That nominal is normal. That it's okay for me to be lukewarm. For me to be complacent. Listen, there's there's nothing normal about being a lukewarm believer. As a matter of fact, we're going to show you later, it's it's not only that it's not normal, it's downright sinful and hazardous to your spiritual health to be a lukewarm believer. There's nothing commonplace about the kingdom of God becoming commonplace in our lives. You know, the Word says that one day we're going to stand before Jesus. And regardless of how many old paintings we've seen of him with the long flowing locks and the bright blue eyes and all that stuff, when we see him, it's going to be so awe-striking that we can hardly take it in. Thank you. Praise God. This is exactly what I'm talking about, church. We need some... Fire up in here, right? Listen. We talk about our age and we often joke about being over the heel. And we say, oh, so and so, he's not what he used to be, he's over the heel. Well, let me tell you something. You may reach a numeric value in your life where you consider yourself to be over the hill. But as a believer, if you ever come to the place that you're over the hill, the hill being Calvary, you've gone too far. You, you need a spiritual checkup because you've just flatlined. You've just flatlined. I've often encouraged people with regard in, in messages like this and teaching this kind of thing. I'll, I'll encourage people in their worship to the Lord during the course of my message, and invariably after any such message, I'll either have someone confront me or write a letter of correction or just to set me straight and tell me what I'll know after I've been in the church a little bit longer or something like that. As And, and they're, they're their writing is usually in defense of why they don't get excited or why they're not fervent in serving the Lord. And they'll tell me that they've matured in the things of the Lord to a point that they, they're just more contained and they're more refined. You know, and they're, they're just able to handle the presence of the Lord better than, than other people. They're not as openly and outwardly zealous as maybe a new believer is. Or that music doesn't move them. They only come to church to hear the word and really, you know, they can worship the Lord better driving down the Blue Ridge Parkway looking at the trees. Or standing beside the ocean or something else. I don't, I don't raise my hands in worship. I don't cry. I don't, I don't open my mouth and audibly say anything because I just the way I worship the Lord is just to go out and be in the woods. And, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing off on that. I'm not looking down. I can tell you, so God's given me some of what I feel like in my better sermons riding on a lawnmower. I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. Okay, creation testifies. I get it. But when you've reached the point that a time of reflection on the divine person of God and what he's done in your life does not evoke a response of hands raised in humble adoration and submission and the thoughts of God's goodness doesn't evoke a shout of hallelujah and thanksgiving from you. That's not maturation that you've attained. It's fossilization. And you've become hard and you've become callous to the things of God and it no longer moves you. It no longer stirs you. For those of you who say, I can praise God just as good on my boat as I can in the church. I can praise God just as good in the woods as I can in my church. I can praise God just as well at the ball field as I can at the church. Listen to me. Hear me very clear. I am not saying that you can't have inspiring moments in those places. But I want to caution you with this. Praise God in those places if you can. Praise God in those places if you will. But be sure that you're in those places for the purpose of praising God and not satisfying the desires of your own flesh. Make sure as you worship Him in those places that worship has not been replaced or made secondary to your own personal desires. It's not that I'm having fun today, but I'm going to add a little Jesus to it. No, there's such a thing in the Word as the sacrifice of praise. It's putting me aside. It's putting everything else to the side and saying, God, you are primary in my life. You are number one. Early will I seek you. Before anything else, God, I pour my heart out to you, and I give myself to you new and afresh today. Listen. I, I, I understand that, that it's awe-striking to stand beside the ocean. And, and I know that it's beautiful to observe the, the wonder and the splendor of God's creation. But nowhere does the Bible instruct us to stand by the sea or hug a tree as a means of worship. But it does say this, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Clap all! Clap your hands, all you people. Sing unto the Lord. Shout unto God. Come before His presence with singing. Praise Him with the dance. Praise Him on the stringed instruments. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals and the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Listen, listen, worship is not passive. There's nowhere in the word that we ever find worship as a passive activity. It's demonstrative. It is demonstrative. Look, worship, praise the Lord, sing, shout. it's all demonstrative. Don't sit here all clammed up looking like a three-week-old prune out of the jar and tell me that you really get in touch with God looking at a tree. I'm sorry. It's demonstrative. You say, well, that's not me. Well, make it you. God God didn't come into your life to leave you like you were to begin with. Change. Conform to His will. Conform to His word. Bring Him the sacrifice. I'm going to tell you something. It is not every Sunday morning that I feel like coming and standing in this spot and saying, Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I praise you today. I thank you for the opportunity to preach you. I don't want to preach the word today. I want to go home and go back to bed. It's a sacrifice of praise. You don't feel like it. You do it until you do. Because I promise you, when you take one step towards him he's going to take more than that towards you and he's going to come and meet you where you are and you'll find that if you'll do it as a as a as a discipline as a demonstrative thing that god is going to meet you where you're at i want to be very clear here it says paul says be aglow and burning with the spirit be aglow with the Spirit. That, that's the Greek word Their Spirit, pneuma. It has 385 New Testament occurrences, and most of these are used to describe the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it depends on whose commentary you read what this word Spirit means, but I believe that it is indicative of the person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit. When we put this whole verse together in complete thought, we, this is what we get, that every day with an intentionality and a sense of urgency, we need to put God first in our lives and pursue his presence until we are ablaze and glowing bright with the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this translates into serving the Lord. Paul concludes with that, with that phrase there. The word serving here literally means to be a slave. If you follow that definition out, it means literally or figuratively, voluntarily or involuntarily. It makes no difference. It means to be a slave in servitude to Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you how that works in the life of the believer. It is very much a literal statement. And it's very much a voluntary activity. Literally. We're to offer ourselves to the point that we can say, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We're no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price. So I bring up the prophet Jeremiah here, ordained by God, a prophet to the nations from his mother's womb. Jeremiah's commitment to serving the Lord brought hardship into his life and finally Jeremiah come to the point he is fed up with it he said I I don't feel like this I'm not speaking anymore in the name of the Lord that's what he said from his prison cell but he said I tried to contain it I tried to suppress it I tried to push it down But the truth of God's Word became like a fire shut up in my bones. I I couldn't contain it anymore, and it had to get out. It had to get out. Let me tell you something. If you are tending the fire of the Spirit in your life, you're going to be one of the most excited believers that anybody's ever seen. You're going to be passionate about the things of the Lord. You're going to be passionate about your pursuit of Him. You're going to be passionate about what God's doing in your life and in the church. Now, I want to conclude with this illustration this morning. When I was a little boy, how many of you love a good fire? Come on, how many pyromaniacs have we got in the house? Come on, come on. I I can look at some of you and tell that you just like a good fire. Right? How many of you, come on, little fellas, when you were little, you got in trouble with the matches. Right? Okay. Okay. When I was a little boy, I I loved it. I love, right now, a good rolling fire pit on an autumn evening. There's nothing like it. I I love the smell of a freshly raked pile of leaves going up in smoke. It is wonderful. It takes me all the way back to my childhood. Because as a child, we lived out in the country. We didn't have any of the collection services that that we have here around the city. Nobody, nobody, absolutely nobody raked up their leaves and put them out by the curbside. We didn't have curbs. To start with. They might rake them over in the ditch, they might rake them up and pile them off on the back corner of the lot, whatever the deal was, but the deal was that they were about to be burned up. The leaves, the sticks, whatever, you know, the big storm passed through the pine cone, everything got piled up and burned. Now here's what I learned about fire very early on. You didn't simply strike a match and throw it in and walk away. Number one, it wasn't safe to do so. Number two, it was a highly ineffective means of incinerating your waste. Because what would happen is, as the fire would begin to burn, things in that pile would begin to shift and begin to move, and things would become disjointed and separated from one another. And eventually, what had been a blazing inferno would sooner or later just die right out and become just a pile of smoldering ash. And there was a lot of that stuff that you had intended to consume with the fire that was left unconsumed and even untouched by the fire. So ever so often, you'd have to come back along and you'd have to tend the fire. You'd have to rake it up. And you'd have to pull all that stuff that was not in the fire over on that pile of ash. And if you'd come along and you'd rake that up and get it all mended up and everything, sooner or later, what had become a smoldering pile of cinder, then you'd look back again, it was a flame again glowing bright and on fire and consuming. And too often in our lives there are things that we don't tend and we don't allow to be touched by the fire of God. We're going through life, things begin shifting, things begin moving, things roll out of the fire. And what you were doing when you came back to that fire and you began to rake that thing up, you were applying discipline. You were applying constraints and saying, you go here and no further. You you move over here. Can I tell you in the Old Testament sacrificial system the reason that they were instructed to cut the rams into pieces and to offer it as a burnt offering? It's because they wanted to pile all of it on the altar. They They didn't want any hoofs or different things hanging off the altar, untouched, unoffered to God. But they wanted it all to be consumed with the fire of God. And in our lives, there's a spiritual fire. And sometimes in our lives, we, we let things start hanging out and off to the side. Things have rolled, things have shifted. And sometimes we've got to come, matter of fact, quite frequently, we've got to come back along and, and gather those things up and apply disciplines through prayer, through the study of the word. through through seeking God and constraining our flesh with the help of the Holy Spirit to the point that all of us is on the altar and all of us is being touched and consumed with the fire of God. See, You may have intended for your life to be aglow with the fire of the Lord in your life, but I promise you this. If you're not tending that fire, it too will go out. And what was once a blazing fire will become a smoldering pile of ash, and what was once hot will now be lukewarm. And here's the great hazard. John the great Apostle had a vision of the resurrected Savior in those first few chapters of the book of Revelations God Jesus spoke a word to the seven churches of Asia Minor and to the church at Laodicea he writes some of the most tragic words that we hear in the scripture and the Lord speaks to this people and says this I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were, Jesus says, cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'm I'm not going to have any part of you. You won't have any part in me. If I could change my analogies here for just a minute but save maintain the principle and I'm not going to share an entirely different message but in Matthew chapter 25 we read Jesus parable of the ten virgins and he says there were five wise and there were five foolish and for the application of this message today we know that the five wise were very vigilant in tending their fire in anticipation of the coming of the bridegroom and the bridegroom came and he found those that had their lamps trimmed and their fires burning bright and he took them into the marriage chamber and they shut the door there were also what they say foolish virgins. They were out scrambling around trying to find what was necessary for their fires to be reignited again when the bridegroom came and they missed out. They asked the wise virgins for it. They said, look, I can't give you what you need. And your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, nobody else can give you spiritually what you need. You have to have the oil of the Holy Spirit in you in order to have the fire of God burning bright in your life, in order to be on fire for the Lord. And I don't want any of us in this room, any of us that are watching online, to ever hear Jesus' words to the Laodicean church. I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Church, we need to be on fire for God. We need to be on fire for the things of the Lord. Keep prayed up. Renew your mind. Share your faith. Break up the stagnancy of inactive Christianity. And tend the fire of God in your life.